Amen. Good morning, Conduit. How are we this morning? It's good to see your faces. I want to read a psalm to you um, this morning that has been, that the Lord has been using to speak to me this week. It has nothing to do with the sermon. I'm just going to let you know, all right? (laughs) Nothing. Um, Yeah, this is extra. Like, I'm not going to charge you any extra for this. Uh, This is just on top, all right? Psalm 130. This is what, this has been like the prayer of my heart this week. Out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. O Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to my cry for mercy. If you, O Lord, kept a record of sins, O Lord, who could stand? But with you, there is forgiveness. Therefore, you are feared. I wait for the Lord. My soul waits. And in his word, I put my hope. My soul waits for the Lord more than the watchman waits for the morning. More than the watchman waits for the morning. O Israel, put your hope in the Lord. For with the Lord is unfailing love. And with him is full redemption. He himself, he himself will redeem Israel from all their sins. Lord, may this be our song, our prayer. Lord, may this be the rock on which we stand this morning. Lord, that with you is unfailing love and full redemption. With you there is forgiveness. Lord, we wait for you. We put our hope in your word. We watch for you, Lord, as a watchman waits for the morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, Well, before we actually get into the sermon this morning, what I want to do is talk to you about the sermon for next week. Um, so we've been, we've been planning for we've been planning for actually a couple months now to um, uh, start a new sermon series next week. So whatever a week from today is, I don't know math is hard, uh, like the eleventh or something. Um, August eleventh, uh, we're starting a series in um, uh, the book of Proverbs, um, and it's going to focus on wisdom and. Um, wisdom, wisdom in general, uh, but also wisdom for all the little like quips and sayings of the Proverbs. It's like Proverbs is like if God had a Twitter and was really active on it, um, like short little bursts of wisdom, 140 characters or less, you know, just kind of try and skim something across the bow really quick, Um, but uh, we're really trusting and believing that uh, God 
is going to reveal in his word um, not just like deep truths about his word, but practical wisdom for the way that we speak, for uh, the way that we handle, uh, for the way that we handle money, for the formation of our character and um, integrity, for the way in which we heed advice or discipline or wisdom from others. Uh, and so we're, we're, we're really looking forward to that. We're going to have, um, we'll have some like interactive, so say, options for you uh, throughout the week so that you can be tracking with the book of Proverbs. And I think we'll be in there like eight-ish, eight-ish weeks okay, in, the, in the book of Proverbs. So I just wanted to give you a little bit of a clue as to where we're going in um, the next few months. And then, and then after the Proverbs series, um, we're going to go into the Old Testament, into the book of Genesis, and we're going to walk through the life of, um, of Joseph and, uh, and, and hear a little bit about Joseph's life and uh, the things that he experienced and how he dealt with that. And that'll be equally about as long, say, eight-ish weeks or so. So if you want to be in any of those um, in any of those sections of scripture in your own personal time, you know, kind of prime the pump of your heart uh, for our times here this morning. So, um, all right, here's what you here's what you paid for this morning. Um, uh, a question that I've asked myself many times. A question that I've um, a question that I've had to experience many times, and also a question that I've walked, um, had, had opportunity and, and privilege to walk people through in their relationships with, uh, with God is how exactly, how exactly do we process and how do we respond as men, women, and children who are seeking to follow Jesus how do we respond when it all hits the proverbial fan? Like, what are our options, even? And, and how do we go about determining, like, what to do next, even? Or where to go? Um, determining, um, determining what is going on when, say... Say, you, um, say you're going through a particularly um, fan-hitting experience, okay? Let's say it's, uh, you're having a, a, a medical issue or there's um, deep financial strain or struggle or you're unemployed or uh, a relationship is strained or something even within your own like mental health or your there's just brokenness in you like how do we even how do you even take the step of determining what exactly it is that is happening because you know like one of the first things that happens when you go to the doctor with a with an ailment right is they go through a process of tests or questions or examinations to come to some diagnosis, right? They need to, they need to diagnose exactly 
what it is that is happening because the diagnosis determines the treatment. So before you can even determine how am I going to process through, how am I going to travel through this particular experience, you have to know, like, maybe what caused it, the circumstances surrounding it, and, and that diagnosis determines the treatment. What is the, what is the next step? How do I get to that place? So, um, in terms of how we process those difficult experiences in our life, and you maybe hear me say, maybe call them trials or hardships or struggles or tests, kind of like all interchangeably this morning. So I'm going to try and mix and match those words so you understand what I'm saying. How we process those difficult experiences in our life. Um, I, I think uh, when we go through the diagnosis process of what has caused X, Y, or Z in our life, um, I think that I want to I want to explore two separate like two separate pathways when we come up against something um, hard. Uh, I think there is a there is a fundamental difference, and we need to be able to we need to be able to distinguish the difference between something that we are experiencing as a consequence of our actions and something that we are experiencing as a um, trial meant to sanctify our souls. Because although there are, there are periods and there are experiences where those things overlap and they can be kind of the same, there are also very different things. So when we talk about the difference between a trial or a consequence, we really are talking about these things. A trial, um, and I believe scripture would describe a trial generally as a, a difficult circumstance allowed by God, purposed to sanctify your life and make you more like Jesus. So this would be like a didn't see it coming, no natural cause, no like no ability to pinpoint a certain thing, a certain choice or decision that I made or another made that threw me into this. All right. An example of this is I think I believe I've told the story before is that uh, my wife and I have um, a nephew. Um, he's a teenager now, so this was a long time ago, but. Um, the, the day he was born, the day he was born, nurses bring him into the room from the nursery after getting them all checked out, say to Sherry's sister, uh, well, we noticed in our examination of him, he's got this little lump on his leg, not really sure what it is. We're going to keep an eye on it. Just wanted to make you aware, right? And uh, come to find out that um, our nephew, Ethan, was born with a, a rare form of cancer. Born, born with it, you know. We're not talking about um, someone who smoked for 50 years and then, and then developed lung cancer and emphysema and said, why, God, are you doing this to me, right? 
but like this is a little child with no, no rhyme or reason, really good prenatal health for mom and baby, and, and it's just kind of like plopped down on your lap and you don't know what to do with it, right? So that's kind of what I'm talking about, a trial, a difficult circumstance allowed by God, purpose to sanctify your life and make you more like Jesus. A consequence, we all kind of know uh, how these come about, is the natural result of unwise or poor decision making. You know? Like, um, you're not going through a trial if you make a really dumb decision and then have to suffer the consequence of that. Right? Um, and and we, we tend to over-spiritualize a lot of the decisions and consequences that we make. Oh, like God's just, God's just trying to teach me something and God's just trying to sanctify me. And it may be true. All right? Definitely true. Um, and, uh, and we're going to get to it a little bit later, but uh, we do believe that, that God certainly does sanctify us in the midst of the consequences of our decisions, right? Not that he only works through trial, right? But that if we, if we stand or if we stand on the, the solid ground of the starting place that, that the poor decisions that I have made is just a way that God is testing me, um, I'm going to call theological manure on that, right? <laughs> It's just not the way that life works, and we can't, like, we should not, we should not seek to over-spiritualize the, 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 the poor decisions that we make and the consequences that come from them. Um, but, listen, so if we can come to a diagnosis of what it is that I'm experiencing, the thing that I'm in, then we can determine the treatment options. And there are treatment options both for trials and for consequences, and they look really different, and then somewhere down the line they may coalesce into one, right? But we should understand um, the difference. Um, and and I, I want to be careful here because not every situation is super cut and dried, you know? You can't, it's not always really easy to determine whether or not I'm experiencing something because of a decision that I have made or if I'm experiencing something um, because um, God... God has allowed a certain thing in my life uh, in order to sanctify or to make me more um, like Jesus. It's not always maybe as simple or as black and white as I'm communicating it to be. And I think you all understand the nuances um, that are there, right? But what I often, what I often find is that when we... Uh, are going through a difficult time and we're trying to determine what exactly is going on and trying to determine what do I do next, we miss the real obvious first step. And that's to ask God, what's going on? Why am I experiencing this? All of these things are happening around me. This is happening inside of me. Lord, I... I seek understanding as to what's going on so that I can respond in the right way. We usually act first and then maybe either find out that, well, this isn't working, so I'll try something else, or this isn't working, well, I'll try something else. And I think that um, the wisest decision that we could make at the beginning of something that we recognize is really creating turmoil in our life is to simply... Ask God, Lord, what is this thing 
that I'm experiencing? What is, what is going on? In fact, the writer um, in James, um, the book of James, a great little book, um, uh, at the end of the New Testament, he's talking about, he's talking in the context of trials and temptations, right? So the, the kind of, the box that we're in is already trial. And then he says this in James chapter 1, verse 5, if any of you lacks wisdom, that, that they should ask God who gives generally or generously to all without finding fault, it will be given to him. Like, we often seek understanding about the circumstance that we're in, missing the real obvious thing of asking God for wisdom about what we're experiencing. And especially so in, in trial or hardship, as James is like circling it here. It's like, if any of you lacks wisdom about what you're experiencing, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault. There will be wisdom for that question. God, did I do something? Lord, is this, is this on me? Is, did I, like, did I involve myself with something? Did I make decisions? Did I take a wrong path that has gotten me to the point that I'm at? Or Lord, is this one of those things that you know I would not have gotten to the place where you need me to be without experiencing this? And so that is, it's, it's something that you're using to sanctify and to change me as I see, look, ask God. Lord, is this me? Or is it you? Or is it both? What is going on? Uh, the psalmist writes in Psalm 139, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way of everlasting. Jesus, um, Jesus encourages his disciples before he ascends back into heaven, uh, that the Holy Spirit, whom he intends to send upon his ascension back into heaven, um, will convict the world of guilt in regard to sin. John chapter 16, verse 8. When he comes, he will convict the world of guilt in regard to sin. And so it stands to reason that if the one of the primary roles of the Holy Spirit is to convict of sin, right? That I if I ask the Lord, search me, O Lord, know my heart, test me, and know my anxious thoughts, see if there is any offensive way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. That that the promise of Jesus, of the Holy Spirit, and the, the work and ministry of the Holy Spirit to reveal truth in your heart and to convict the world of sin will, will do exactly as he has promised to do. Now, I'm going to... I need to warn you here, okay? 
that asking the Lord to search you, asking the Lord to reveal any wicked or offensive way that is in you, asking the Lord to convict you of sin if there is sin living in you, right? When you, when you ask that, right, um, the Lord, like James said, the Lord gives generously to you all <laughs> without finding fault. And if you, if you seek the Lord on behalf of, the own, of your own heart condition, um, he will answer and answer swiftly. Swiftly. And so, if you have not determined, right, that whatever I hear from the Lord in this moment, in regard to my own heart condition or my own circumstances, that I will respond in obedience to the, to the, to the word of the Holy Spirit upon my life, then you may want to be careful about what you ask the Lord to reveal. Um, because once the Holy Spirit reveals to you the, the truth of your circumstances right now, you are, you are now fully held accountable for responding to that in a godly way. And, um, and conviction over that, it becomes um, increasingly heavy. So if we have asked the Lord, if we have asked the Lord for wisdom in regards to our circumstance, and we have, we have, um, we have made our spirits and our ears sensitive to the Holy Spirit and hearing from that, and we get an answer, let's say, well, yeah, this is happening because, duh, you did X, Y, and Z, or Lord, reveal sin that's in my life, right now, and like, the Holy Spirit isn't sending off warning bells, or like, sirens in a particular area, then you kind of have an idea of which one it is, and then, so now you have your diagnosis, now you can begin to um, track out a um, treatment plan, so to speak, okay? Um, so I want to talk about what is the path out of consequence, and what is the path out of trial? Because no one here is like, or I guess I'll just speak for myself, I won't speak for you, but no one is eager to experience either. Even if the promise of result is good, right? Even if the promise of um, result is redemption, or the promised result is a, a sanctified Cameron, right? I'm not super eager to jump on the struggle bus, all right? Like, would really rather just be, like, refined and redeemed and renewed and sanctified through all positive, life-giving experiences, rather than things that feel like they're dragging me within an inch of death. Right? Agreed? So, um, so we're always looking for a path out of those difficult things. No matter how much we may believe that they are good for us, we're like, 
show me the way out. Get me to like the next step. Like I gotta, where, whatever it is and wherever I'm going, like how do I get there, Lord? How do I get there? And the way is different for two things, all right? First, uh, we're going to talk about um, the way out of consequence. Um, this is not really a hard, this is not really a hard or really super insightful, neither, this is not insightful, like this is not, I did not come up with these, it's not like three steps to get out of consequences or three steps to make it through trials, right? This is not Oprah's book club, right? Like this is like, it's foundational to the word and you'll see it all over the place, all right? The way out of consequence is repentance, That, that, that the way, the, the pathway out of the heaviness of consequences for decisions that we have made or not made is repentance. Uh, Jesus uh, said in Luke chapter 5 verse 31 when he was questioned about the nature of his ministry... He said, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have come not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Uh, the gospel writer Luke, who also, write the who also wrote, wrote the book of Acts, um, gives us, he talks about repentance, but he, he indicates um, in an even more significant way, what repentance actually is. So if we're going to say that the, that the way out of consequences is repentance, we need to distinguish repentance um, outside of just a fancy, like, spiritual, theological, biblical term and really understand that repentance is an actual thing that we do. And so Luke writes in Acts chapter 3, he says, Repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord. Man, this is like, this is solid gold here. Solid, solid gold in repentance. Leave this one up while we're talking about repentance because I want you to get this in your heart, Okay. When we talk about not just the spiritual dynamic of coming out of consequence, but the practical reality of what it means to repent, Luke, who wrote this right here, Luke, who, who, who wrote Acts, has this really, like, he defines repentance in a way that, like, in the best way possible, repent then and turn to God. So the word, the word repentance is... Um, is a verb, okay? It's an action word. And so, like, when you're, when you're learning, um, you know, like, different types of grammar, uh, you, you, you talk about, like, well, what is a verb? A, a verb is a, a word that uh, denotes action. You're like, can you, like, run is a verb, right? Because you, can you run? Yes, you can run. Repentance is a verb. Can you repent? Yes, you can repent because it's not something that we just think, right? It's something that we actually do. So when we think about repentance, I want you to think about it in this way. Think about it in, the, in, in terms of like my, my physical posture 
is facing towards and walking with, um, let's just generally call it um, uh, sinful pattern of life or poor decision or um, a direction in which God have me travel. Right? Away from holiness. Away from the Lord. And when I come to, when I ask the Lord, okay, Lord, this thing that I'm going through, this trial, um, is it for, from sin or is it because this is just a trial or whatever? And God's like, no, it's sin. You, like, this is X, Y, and Z. You need to repent and turn to me so that your sins may be wiped out, that times of refreshing may come from me in your life. And so at the moment of repentance, it's a hard stop. And it's not a lateral move. It's not a going forward at a different angle, taking just a slightly different path in the same general direction. No, repentance is a hard stop and a physical turning of your spirit and physical posture, turning your back on sin. Sin Sin is turning your back on God. Repentance is turning your back on sin. And then not just staying there, but, but taking forward action to return to the place of God's presence. Repentance is a step that you can actually see in the life of the one who is fleeing from the consequences of their decisions. You can see it in their spirit, in their demeanor. You can see it in their relationships. You can see it in the, in the, the new way that they spend their time, the, um, the, the, the difference in the way that they, they speak or talk about it because it's not just an isolated incident of like, well, I'm just going to change my mind about that thing. No, repentance is the full-scale turn around and go the other direction. And it's in that moment, right? It's in the moment of true repentance. It's in the moment where, where, where God sees the the absolute turning away and walking away from from all of the sin that entangled you, that refreshing comes. That renewal comes. That redemption comes. That the heart is restored. That sin may be wiped away. But it is in repentance and in repentance only that that happens. What is what we can do with each other, we cannot do with God. And that is fake it. You may be able to fake repentance with each other. Say the right things, do the right things, look the right way, right? right? But, but God... God will not be mocked. God, God will not be um, his refreshing, his, 
his eagerness to forgive, his eagerness to restore will not, will not be mocked. It will not be changed. It will not be made new. Or it will not be um, taken lightly or taken for granted. So the way out of consequence is repentance, right? The path out of trial, here, like you're not going to like this answer. I'm just going to let you know right now. It's not going to be encouraging. It's not going to be comforting. It's not going to be like, oh, that's all I got to do. Um, because if there's, one, if there's one thing that none of us like to have, um, it's like the most undesirable spiritual gift in all of the world is patience, right? It's like, it's like oh, never pay for patience. God will, you know, if you don't pay for, or don't pray for patience. And I'm like, isn't like patience like one of the fruit of the Spirit? Like, isn't that like an example of the Holy Spirit's presence in your life? Like, so I think we do want to pray for patience, all right? I think we just want to be aware of what that means, right? Because a way through a trial is patient perseverance. Now, I wrote this down. I said, um, those who navigate trials successfully will be those who patiently persevere. Those who navigate trials successfully will be those who patiently persevere. Um, James, we've already been in James, James chapter 1, verses 3 through 4. The writer says, those who persevere. That's not exactly what he said. Those who persevere, because you know, James chapter 1, verse 3, because you know that the testing of your faith, we're talking about a trial, right? We're not talking about a consequence. So we're we're talking about something that, that, that God is using a, a circumstance or a situation that God is using to sanctify our soul, right? Um, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. And then verse 4, perseverance must finish its work. You must, al- you must, allow, you must allow it, like you can't take the cake out of the oven before it's done because you're super hungry, Right? It it won't it won't finish its work. When we when we rush out of when we when we try and rush out of the trial, right? Perseverance must finish its work, listen, so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. That that those James says that those who persevere will see God fully mature them spiritually, filling in all of the gaps that we couldn't fill ourselves. Those who who are willing to sit 
patiently persevering in the midst of trial will see God mature them and fill up all of their lack. You will be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Now, like I, I said before, we all kind of naturally want to rush through the trial. Totally normal, right? We want to escape the pain. We're not built for pain. We, we, want, we want to escape it, whether that pain is emotional, whether that pain is spiritual or physical or mental. We want to, like, we want to cut and run as quickly as we can, and there's nothing wrong with that, all right? You don't, don't get down on yourself because you're like, oh, I can't patiently persevere. I just want this to end. Um, don't, get, don't get down on yourself, but, but, but understand that, um, you know, that in our most honest moments, and I can say this, right? You can say this when you are not in the middle of something, Right? When it's not like eye deep in your life right now. When, when you're not in the middle of something, you can look back on when you were in the middle of something. And, and you can affirm, I know you can affirm, that what God did in you and what God taught you in that moment was an experience and a lesson that you would not have allowed yourself to experience any other way. Like you would not have, you would not have um, willfully allowed the circumstance of your life to produce in you what God produced in you when you patiently persevered through that trial. You wouldn't have done it, right? Because our natural instinct is to run away from pain, not to sit in it and patiently persevere so that it does its work. So that it, it finishes what it needs to finish within you. Now, the writer of Hebrews talks about, um, he talks about trials and discipline kind of interchangeably. He talks about like how, how um, trials and discipline are the ways in which a loving father instructs us as his children in the way of holiness. Right? And, and if, you, if you would ask my son, Noah, he would say that, yeah, dad like, likes to create trials in my life. Right? Like cleaning, my, cleaning the room, cleaning my room, huge trial. Right? I mean... Don't you wish you had those types of trials these days? Like, I'll take that one. If that's my biggest issue, cleaning my room, uh, sign me up, please. Um, so the writer of Hebrews kind of uses this language of trial and hardship and discipline and difficulty interchangeably, okay? So don't get too lost in the vocabulary. Understand that it's used kind of to delineate or describe the same thing. Right? And, and he writes in uh, Hebrews chapter 12, the second half of Hebrews chapter 12, um, no, Hebrews 12 verse 11, no discipline, 
no trial, no hardship, no struggle, no discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. It's like he's in touch with reality, right? No struggle seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. So the key in being able to harvest righteousness from this trial is to allow it to finish its work. For those who have been trained by it, don't quit training camp, right, before the harvest has come. You'll miss out on the purpose for the thing. You'll miss it. Now, I wanted to say all of that to get to this, okay? Difficult circumstances are not evidence of God's absence. Difficult circumstances of life are not evidence of God's absence from you. They are not evidence of God's anger, of God's displeasure, of God's desire to just make you squirm underneath something difficult. Trials are evidence of God's sovereign, full, no-holds-barred battle with the old you so that the new you can come to life. It is God's unwillingness, it is God's unwillingness for you to stay in the place where you were before the trial. That is what it is evidence of. Consequences, on the other hand, right? So we have trials over here, which are evidence of God's sovereign, full, no-hold-barred battle with the old you in order to bring about the new you. Consequences, on the other hand, over here, because remember, they're different, and the pathways out of them are different. Consequences, um, although a... Um, although a fruit of poor decision-making, right, are, God is, not, God is not absent from the consequences of your poor decision-making. We say, well, okay, God is in the midst of the trial because he's trying to do something in me. I get that, right? Something that I would not have taken up on my own. So, like, he's right in the mix, and he's, like, molding the clay of my life, and I can see that he's right here with me no matter how hard it is, but when I'm over here in the consequences, I'm just experiencing like, man, I screwed up big, and now this is happening, and this is happening, and this is happening. It doesn't mean that God is absent over here either. See, that's a, that's a tremendous thing about the, about the forbearance and mercy and forgiveness of God, that it doesn't matter if you're in the midst of a trial that he caused or in the midst of consequences that you caused, he is there. 
and he is working and he is moving consequences now are the fertile soil for God's primary work. The work of redemption. They are, they are not his anger towards you. They are his invitation to experience refreshing. Consequences are the invitation for you to repent and experience refreshing. Psalm chapter, well, I guess it was kind of part of the sermon because I referenced it here. Psalm chapter 130, verse 7. Israel, put your hope in the Lord, for with the Lord is unfailing love, and with him is full redemption. Full, complete, total redemption. Paul, of course, echoes in all of his, almost all of his letters, um, the whole witness of Scripture. And he says in his letter to the Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 30, it is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus, who has become for us wisdom from God, that is our righteousness, our holiness, in our redemption. Do consequences or our own, the, the decisions that we have made and the spot that we are in, does it, does it somehow like block or negate God's like presence in that difficult period? Absolutely not. In fact, even when we make poor decisions and we're experiencing the consequences of those poor decisions, God goes to work immediately, immediately to redeem, to restore, to make new. And God, is, God, is, God has made every provision for our forgiveness. God has made every provision for our redemption. God has made every provision for our return to Him. But notice, God has made every provision for our return. There's this tremendous power to, you think, like, and sobering, like, reality of, you think of, like, the parable of the prodigal son, right? And the son came to the father and said, I want, I want my inheritance and I'm leaving. And I got to imagine that in the mind of a father, knowing what a poor decision this was going to be on the son, for the son, right? Are you sure you want to do this? I, I really think you should reconsider. Please don't do this. Please don't do this. And maybe the father could have had the authority or the physical power to chain him to the house. And like, no, I'm not going to let you do this. But for whatever, like, he let the son go, right? And 
He didn't chase him. I'll be right here. You know where I live. You know what I'm about. I'm, I'm not going to scream. I'm, I'm not going to yell. I'm, I'm, I'm not going to force you to stay. You can have everything that I have. And I'll just be here. And then, like, I get this picture, and of course this isn't in the parable, but, you know, just taking a little bit of, like, liberty with the story. It's like you just get this, you just get this feeling that God, or that the Father just, like, stood at the end of the driveway and was like, just wait. Days, right? Weeks. Months. Like, I'll wait. As long as it takes. As long as it takes. But if he went to go find his son and ripped him out of that situation that he was in, right? It wouldn't actually be a response of love, right? It would be a response of control. I'm going to control this situation. And the ultimate expression of love in that instance is that God could rip us away from making those bad decisions, but, but the character of love demands that we be free and that he wait patiently at the end of the driveway 